Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the December 14th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host, and uh, we're going to go ahead and jump straight into things. Um, please excuse me. I want to say up front, please excuse me. Um, I am down sick. Um, the wife and I have tested. We do not have the Rona, but um, needless to say, not feeling great. Actually, actually took, you know, took part of the day off work and uh, previous day, so I'm a little tired, um, but, and the coughing is pretty persistent, even though I'm taking something for it. So please excuse me as I cough, if I cough, I may have to stop in between and do more drinking and whatever. And I'm sorry if you have to listen to that, but that, that keeps me from coughing straight into the microphone. And I know you don't want that because I cough pretty loudly. So all that said, let's go ahead and try to jump right into this. So we're going to go ahead and open up this morning with the fourth day morning tr- prayer. It's called true Christianity. All right, join me in prayer. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted who have another heart, but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence, but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity, not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right. And now the December 14th devotional, this is the morning section, and it, the text for it is Psalm 84, 7. They go from strength to strength. They go from strength to strength. There are various renderings of these words, but all of them contain the idea of progress. Our own good translation of the authorized version is enough for us this morning. They go from strength to strength. That is, they grow stronger and stronger. Usually, if we are walking, we go from strength to weakness. We start fresh and in good order for our journey. But by and by, the road is rough and the sun is hot. We sit down by the wayside and then again painfully pursue our weary way. 
but the Christian pilgrim, having obtained fresh supplies of grace, is as vigorous after years of toilsome travel and struggle. Excuse me. Sorry. But the Christian pilgrim, I'm going to start from there, but the Christian pilgrim, having obtained fresh supplies of grace, is as vigorous after years of toilsome travel and struggle as when he first set out. He may not be quite so elate and buoyant, nor perhaps quite so hot and hasty in his zeal as he once was, but he is much stronger in all that constitutes real power and travels, if more slowly, far more surely. Some gray-haired veterans have been as firm in their grasp of truth and as zealous in diffusing it as they were in their younger days. But alas, it must be confessed it is often otherwise. For the love of many waxes cold, and iniquity abounds. But this is their own sin, and not the fault of the promise which still holds good. The youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Fretful spirit, spirits sit down and troubles, and trouble themselves about the future. Alas, say they, we go from affliction to affliction. Very true, O thou of little faith, but then thou goest from strength to strength also. Thou shalt never find a bundle of affliction which has not bound up in the midst of it sufficient grace. God will give the strength of right manhood with the burden allotted to full-grown shoulders. All right. Okay, excuse me. I'm sorry about that sneeze. And I'm going to grab some coffee here for a minute. Oh, okay. We're going to get going with our reading. We're going to start here in Second Chronicles 16. This is uh, in the reign of Asa, king of Judah. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built up Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of Yahweh and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between you and me, as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa, and sent the commanders of his military forces against the cities of Israel. And they struck down Ejon, Dan, Abel-Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. Now it happened that when Baasha heard of it, he ceased building up Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had been building. And with them he built Jeba and Mizpah. Now at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you have leaned on the king of Aram and have not leaned on Yahweh your God, therefore the military force of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim a vast military force with an exceedingly vast number of chariots and horsemen? Yet because you leaned on Yahweh, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of Yahweh move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is wholly devoted to him. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. <coughs> I'm sorry, excuse me. Then Asa was vexed with the seer 
and put him in prison, for he was enraged in him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Now behold, the acts of Asa from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Asa became diseased in his feet in the thirty-ninth year of his reign. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease he did not seek Yahweh, but the physicians. So Asa slept with his fathers, and he died in the forty-first year of his reign. And they buried him in his own tomb, which he had cut out for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the resting place, which he had filled with spices of various kinds, blended by the perfumer's art. And they made a very great fire for him. All right, now Revelation 5, and I'm sorry, I've got to get some more coffee here. All right, Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him. (coughs) Sorry. Sorry. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Then I was crying greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop crying. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders a lamb standing, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and purchased for God with your blood people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature, I'm sorry, and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. All right, Zechariah 1. And again, I'm going to take some coffee. All right, Zechariah 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, Yahweh was very wrathful against your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Return to me, declares Yahweh of hosts, that I may return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets called out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. 
but they did not listen or give heed to me, declares Yahweh. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my slaves, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they returned and said, As Yahweh of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has done with us. On the twenty-fourth day of the eleventh month, which is the month she bought, in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine, with red, sorrel, and white horses behind him. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom Yahweh has sent to patrol the earth. So they answered the angel of Yahweh who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is sitting still and quiet. Then the angel of Yahweh answered and said, O Yahweh of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with which you have been indignant these seventy years? Yahweh answered the angel who was speaking with me with good words, comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, Call out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very wrathful with the nations who are at ease. For I was only a little wrathful, but they helped increase the calamity. Therefore thus says Yahweh, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares Yahweh of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again, call out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, My cities will again overflow with good, and Yahweh will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there were four horses. So I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these? And he said to me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then Yahweh showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to cause them to tremble, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. <coughs> All right, now John 4, and again, I'm going to take some coffee. Sorry about that. All right, John 4. Therefore, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How do you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, being a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, 
You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank of it himself, and his sons, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, ever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty nor come back here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come back here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they were marveling that he was speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you speaking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Is this not the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Even now, he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for, for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who bore witness. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the Savior of the world. And after the two days, he went from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself bore witness that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Then he came again to Cana of Galilee, 
where he had made the water wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was asking him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. And while he was still going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was alive. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus did when he came, when, when he had come out of Judah into Galilee. All right, that is our reading for this morning. And I'm sorry I read so fast. I was trying to get it done before I before I coughed even worse than I did. So I apologize. And I apologize for the coughing. Um, We're going to go ahead and close up this morning with another Valley of Vision prayer. This one is called Sincerity. Sincerity. Let's pray. Elector of saints, blessed is the man whom thou choosest and callest to thyself. With thee is mercy, redemption, assurance, forgiveness. Thou hast lifted me a prisoner out of the pit of sin and pronounced my discharge, not only in the courts of heaven, but in the dock of conscience, hast justified me by faith, given me peace with thee, made me to enjoy glorious liberty as thy child, save me from the false hope of the hypocrite. May I never suppose I am in Christ, unless I am a new creature. Never think I am born of the Spirit, unless I mind the things of the Spirit. Never rest satisfied with professions of belief, and outward forms and services, while my heart is not right with thee. May I judge my my sincerity in religion, by my fear to offend thee, my concern to know thy will, my willingness to deny myself. May nothing render me forgetful of thy glory, or turn me aside from thy commands, or shake my confidence in thy promises, or offend thy children. Let not my temporal occupations injure my spiritual concerns, or the cares of life make me neglect the one thing needful. (coughs) Excuse me. May I not be inattentive to the design of thy dealings with me, or insensible under thy rebukes, or immobile at thy calls. May I learn the holy art of abiding in thee, or being in the world and not of it, or making everything not only consistent with, but conducive to my religion. Amen. All right. Well, that is our morning section for this morning. Um, I, I pray that even in spite of the coughing and the f- speedy reading, um, that it has definitely equipped you and edified you and lifted you up. Um, I would always implore you to go out and do all that you do today for the glory of God. Um, and God willing, I will talk to you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. 
Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, and again, this is the December 14th episode. Um, I want to go ahead and preface this by, you know, I'm going to continue to do this as long as I can. Um, typically when I have end up with a bug like this that deals with coughing and um, chest compression or chest issues and, and, and uh, mucus and, and all of that, I have a tendency to lose my voice. Um, it gets really, really bad. I'm hoping this one will be quick. That's why I've tried to nip it in the bud quickly. Um, but if it, I will do this as much as, as long as I can, but we may hit, um, some days where I'll just have to <clears throat> send you out some material or something. Um, or you may have to stay on top of, uh, McShane's reading on your own. I hope not. Again, I will do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen, but I just wanted to let you know. So <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and get started this evening. We are going to open this evening again with a Valley of Vision prayer. This one is called the family. So let's pray. O sovereign Lord, thou art the creator, father of all men, for thou hast made and dost support them. Thou art the special father of those who know, love, and honor thee, who find thy yoke easy and thy burden light, thy work honorable, thy commandments glorious. But how little thy undeserved goodness has affected me. How imperfectly have I improved my religious privileges. How negligent have I been in doing good to others. I am before thee in my trespasses and sins. Have mercy on me. Help me to hate and forsake every false way, to be attentive to my condition and character, to bridle my tongue, to keep my heart with all diligence, to watch and pray against temptation, to mortify sin, to be concerned for the salvation of others. O oh God, I cannot endure to see the destruction of my kindred. Let those that are united to me in tender ties be precious in thy sight and devoted to thy glory. Sanctify and prosper my domestic devotion, instruction, discipline, example, that my house may be a nursery for heaven, that my church the garden of the Lord, enrich with trees of righteousness of thy planting for thy glory. Let not those of my family who are amiable, moral, attractive, fall short of heaven at last. Grant that the promising appearances of a tender conscience, soft heart, the alarms and delights of thy word, be not finally blotted out, but bring forth judgment unto victory in all whom I love. Amen. All right. And our evening devotion for this evening for December 14th, and it is, the text for it is Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. That's Paul. I am crucified with Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ acted in what he did as a great public represent, representative person, and his dying upon the cross was the virtual dying of all his people. Then all his saints rendered unto justice what was due, and made an expiation to divine vengeance for all their sins. The apostle of the Gentiles delighted to think that as one of Christ's chosen people, he died upon the cross in Christ. He did more than believe this doctrinally. He accepted it confidently resting his hope upon it. He believed that by virtue of Christ's death, he had satisfied divine justice and found reconciliation with God. Beloved, what a blessed thing it is when the soul can, as it were, stretch itself upon the cross of Christ and feel, I am dead, the law has slain me, and I am therefore free from its power, because in my surety I have borne the curse, and in the person of my substitute, 
the whole that the law could do by way of condemnation has been executed upon me, for I am crucified with Christ. But Paul meant even more than this. He not only believed in Christ's death and trusted in it, but he actually felt its power in himself and causing the crucifixion of his old corrupt nature. <coughs> Excuse me. When he saw the pleasures of sin, he said, I cannot enjoy these. I am dead to them. Such is the experience of every true Christian. Having received Christ, he is to this world as one who is utterly dead. Yet while conscious of death to the world, he can at the same time exclaim with the apostle, Nevertheless, I live. He is fully alive unto God. The Christian's life is a matchless riddle. No worldling can comprehend it. Even the believer himself cannot understand it. Dead, yet alive. Crucified with Christ, and yet at the same time risen with Christ in newness of life. Union with the suffering, bleeding Savior and death to the world and sin are soul-cheering things. Oh, for more enjoyment of them. Amen. All right. I've got to get some coffee. <coughs> and I am so sorry about coughing in your ear. If I had a soundboard and we're, I'm looking at down the road, maybe doing that, putting it between my microphone and the computer where I'm recording, I will have a cough button so I can prevent that and sneezes and all that. But right now, trying to facilitate that is much more complicated than honestly right now that my sick brain can comprehend. All right, so we're going to continue our study in um, the Gospel of John. Um, our title for this evening is the light and Christian ministry, and we're going to we're going to go on dealing with the light um, through the next couple of evenings as we break down verses six through verse four, 13 or fourteen, I think it is. Um, so today we're going to deal with John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So 1 through 5, we saw, speaking of the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Well, I'll go ahead and read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. Here's our verses for today. There was a man having been sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So again, we're getting into the section where John the Apostle, and we'll, we'll see this, is speaking of John the Baptist. Um, this is the first witness that that. John the Apostle is going to speak on the first witness for Christ. <coughs> but so um, we've talked about before when any of the writers, um, we've talked about it with Paul and we can speak of it with John. We can talk about it with any of them, honestly. Um, Luke, the doctor, same kind of thing. There, are, There's nothing in here. No word choice, no word order, no, no, no. Um, topic, order, no, any of that that is, that is, um, that is accidental or coincidental. Um, they are specifically in there. Um, and even in some cases, the imagery that is used actually in all cases, the imagery that is used like Paul and Ephesians using the full armor of God, there was a purpose for each type of armor. And there was, there was a reason 
behind those pieces. They weren't accidental that he just happened to choose them because they were sitting there in front of them. That was part of it, but there was an explicit um, reason behind each piece and what it did, what it, what it did in human imagery and how that applied to the spiritual battle space. Well, the same's true here. We see John speaking of Jesus Christ, speaking of the Messiah as the light, as the word being the light and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overtake it. So let's talk a little bit about light so that we have a good understanding of its nature before we dive in because it matters. I mean, it's not just casual that John's using the imagery of light here. It is intentional. So a couple of things, and I, and I know, and the, I'm really not trying to make this a science class, but, but we do need to understand this. Light is not static. Looking at a light bulb, that light in there is not static. That's true of any kind of light. It's not static. Um, the fact is, Light moves at a speed of almost 200,000 miles per second. It's moving energy. Light energy hitting our eyes is what allows us to see. And that energy not hitting our eyes prevents us from seeing. That's why in the dark, when, when we get in the dark, especially if it's completely pitch black, we can't see because there's no light energy hitting our eyes. Now, in most cases, it's rare that we are actually in complete pitch dark. So there's even maybe a slight bit of light that is still hitting our eyes, allowing us to at least see shadowy shapes. But those that's what light is. That's the characteristics of light. But this simplified but complicated concept is what John is referring to here when he refers to Jesus Christ as, as the light. It is that moving power, that moving divine energy that brings things into, into view. It brings the gospel and our need of a savior into view. Jesus Christ does that, the, that moving energy of Jesus Christ, that moving energy of the word. So John in our verses this morning identifies the light and turns it on what Dr. MacArthur calls some foundational spiritual truths to illumine them, some foundation spiritual truths about that, that we'll see from verses 6 through verse 13, 14, as we work through them. And we're going to take them a piece at a time. But that's the light that shines in the darkness. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that light, and he shines himself. He, that light shines on this world. It shines on the truths. It tr shines on the truth of the gospel. It shines on the truth of our sin, our sin nature, and our need for, for, for that Savior and for saving faith. I mean, honestly, that's exactly what brought me to a saving faith. It put me on my knees. It's the realization that light shining in the darkness of my soul and making me realize how, why I needed that savior that had been talked about, why I needed it, why I wasn't the good guy that I thought I was and others seemed to think I was, that without our, our savior, without him dying on the cross, and taking the punishment for my sins and then being raised from the dead that I was lost. It was the light shining on that. So that's the light that shines in the darkness. 
So what we're going to break down over the next couple of evenings, God willing, is we're going to see the nature of true Christian ministry, which we'll see this evening. We're going to see the nature of the Savior, the nature of the light itself, um, beyond the simple definition and discussion of it we just did. We're going to see the nature of sinners, and we're going to say the nature of believers. And finally, we'll see the nature of God. So like I said, we're going to talk about the Christian ministry this evening. So what we're going to deal with again this evening is the, the Apostle John showing us the nature of true Christian ministry. So let's read verses 6 to 8 again. So John 1 verse 6. There was a man having been sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. We see the Apostle shifting from the divine when talking of Christ, verses 1 through 5, to the man, John. This is John the Baptist. Yeah, please don't. I don't know that anybody does, but if they do, <coughs> they are wrong. This is not John the Apostle speaking about himself. He is speaking of John the Baptist, and you'll see it as he moves on in these verses as he speaks of him. Um, specifically, um, it makes very, very clear who he's talking about, that he's not talking about himself. Again, as I told you in the introdu introduction, John the Apostle never mentions himself by name in this gospel, never. So we see the apostle be very clear that John was sent by God. There was a man having been sent from God whose name was John. So if you know the story of John the Baptist at all, you know that he was prophesied of in Isaiah 40 verses three through five. Um, Isaiah 40 verse starting in verse three, a voice is calling, prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of Yahweh will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. The mouth of Yahweh has spoken. This is, this is the forerunner. This is John the Baptist they're speaking of here, preparing the way for Yahweh in the wilderness, him making smooth in the desert a highway, lifting up the valleys to, to raise it so you don't have to dip down in, making every mountain and hill low so it's smooth traveling. Let the rough ground become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Again, speaking of that forerunner, speaking of John the Baptist, who we will, who you must understand was the last prophet but was also the first preacher of the gospel. But we also see him spoken of in Malachi 3.1, and this is where it really speaks of the forerunner. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahweh. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land, devoting it to, de to destruction. Again, there was a man having been sent from God. This is verse 6 again, whose name was John. We even see um, confirmation of this. And again, like I said, the Gospel of John is written in the context of the other three Gospels already been being written. But John's coming was even heralded by an angel 
that came to John's father, Zacharias, who was a priest. And he was born from two people, very old in age and proven barren. Um, you see that in Luke 1, verses 5 through 22. It's a little bit of a long passage, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiha, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and righteous requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will not drink any wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands before God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. But when he came out, he was unable, <coughs> sorry, was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. John the Baptist was surely sent by God. I mean, here's Gabriel announcing him, and the things Gabriel says very clearly tie back to both what we see in Isaiah and what we see in Malachi. They tie directly back to that. They directly call that out. This is a person, so this is the first prophet in over 400 years. This is the first time these Jews, the Israelites, have heard from God in over 400 years. Think of the position that would put John John the Baptist in. Think of what position. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. that he, he jumps immediately to superstar status in that culture. No matter what his manner of life is, he immediately jumps to superstar status. But repeatedly, John shows true humility. John 1.30. And he's speaking of Jesus here. This is John the Baptist speaking of Jesus. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who has been ahead of me, for he existed before me. He's speaking of Jesus there, saying he's a man ahead of him. Um, when we get to John 3, 26 through 30, um, I believe if I remember right. Um, yeah. Um, John's disciples come back to him 
John the Baptist's disciples come back to him speaking of what Jesus um, was, what Jesus and his disciples were doing. And John responds to them. So, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, so that John 3, 26 through 30. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. What great humility. What great humility John showed in a society where no, no kidding, because of who he was, the first prophet in 400 years and clearly a prophet or, you know, prophesied by an angel that came to his father that did miraculous things to make clear that this, that, that, that he was of God, he was coming from God, yet he was truly humble, but let's see what he came to do. He came as a witness to testify about the light. Again, we see that verse seven. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him. To witness to, to testify about the light, about Jesus Christ, the son of God. This is what true Christian ministry is all about. We have no other purpose than that. That was John's only purpose out there, was to testify about Christ, was to testify about the gospel. Paul is even clear about that in 1 Corinthians 2, that that is his whole purpose, his sole purpose, excuse me. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We see Paul make these same type of proclamations throughout his epistles. That's John the Baptist's purpose, to testify about the light. And, he, and, it makes, and, and John the apostle makes clear here as we get into verse 8. He was not the light but he came to bear witness about the light. Clearly he was not the light. He was to bear witness. He was to testify. He was to witness. They're legal. Those are legal terms that are used here in the Greek. And they mean to convey the facts, the evidence that attests to the truth about something. In this case, it's to testify to the truth about the Christ, about the Son of God, about the Messiah, the truth of the gospel. That is his primary purpose. That is what he's there for. That is the only thing he's there for. He's not there to, to lift himself up. He's not there to pat himself on the back. He's not there to laud himself before them, even though he's the first prophet in 400 years. He's there to preach. He's there to teach. He's there to be the witness. He's there to bear witness, to testify about the light. That's the nature of true. So what does that mean to us? That is the nature of true Christian ministry. We are all in our walks to attest to the truths about Christ that, so that all might believe through our witness. And you can sit there and, 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 you know, yeah, John, like I said, John was the first preacher of the gospel. John, the, John the Baptist was the first preacher of the gospel. And many of you will go, I'm not a preacher. I don't care. So what? <coughs> and I'm not saying all of you are called to be. Sometimes I'm not even sure I am. And I know there are people out there that don't think I am. And, you know, they're welcome to that opinion. I, they may be right. 
Sorry, I had to have some coffee there. But that is what we are called to do. Again, I, I always point back to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. We're called to make disciples of all nations. And it's very, very clear what has to happen. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is our job. We don't know who's saved and who's not. And yeah, there are a distinct set of people that are called and others that are not to salvation. But we don't know who they are. So we are to bring the gospel to all nations. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, verse 13, uh, Romans 10, verse 13. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How they how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how, how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. And go on in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's speaking of the gospel. And again, obviously that's Romans 10, 17 is where the name for this podcast comes from. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And again, I'm not saying everybody's a preacher. And I'll be very clear with you. Women are not to be preachers. The Bible is very clear about that. However, every Christian, man, woman, and child, are to be witnesses. We are to testify to the gospel. We are to do it humbly, as John did, but we are to be as verbose. We are to be as... as um, uh, resounding. We are, we are to just, uh, we are to constantly witness to the gospel. We are to constantly witness to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, that he is our only savior, that he is the only way for, for, for us to be saved. The only way for anybody to be saved. People will say out there, oh, there's many ways to God. No, there's not. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. He is the only way. And we have got to take that message out. And that's what John was doing here. Even though it's going to cost him his life, it's going to, it's going to cost him his head. You know, you sit there, say to him, don't lose your head. Well, he did. He lost his head. It cost him his life. But I'll guarantee you, he was like Paul and Paul in the second Timothy four. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. That was John the Baptist, and that needs to be you and I. We are to humbly testify and witness as John does here. We are to be that. That is a clear example of what Christian ministry should look like. And in this world where we see so many out there trying to pat themselves on the back, and, I, and I'm, I'm being serious, the Joel Osteens, the Mark Driscolls, um, which I hate to say because I used to like the stuff he was doing and and went off the rails. Um, the Beth Moore's, the, the, you name it, you know, they're all out there. Um, they're all about self. It's not about being humble. It's not about humbly proclaiming Christ and putting themselves in the background. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but let's be clear. I don't care if anybody in the world ever knows my name. As long as as I know that I've done all I could to proclaim Christ. That's all that matters. And that has to be the same for all of us. That was what it was for John the Baptist. 
Believe me, he didn't pull any punches. He set himself up to be imprisoned. Not, not intentionally. I mean, he wasn't sadistic. But he knew how resistant they were going to be. And he humbly witnessed the gospel. And that's what we have to do. We have to follow John the Baptist's example here in John 1, verses 6 through 8. So I would beg you to do so. And I would I would try to remind myself and implore myself to continue to do so also. All right. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to go ahead and close as we is typically our habit with the fourth day evening prayer. It's called, called God All-Sufficient. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine and its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindnesses that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity, thou hast provided us a savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on. Unchecked and undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right. And that's our uh, evening episode. Uh, Again, I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope you have a good night's sleep and uh, God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Uh, May God bless you again. I love you. And uh, again, like I said, I hope I see you tomorrow morning. God bless.